Welcome to Going Deep. Brandon Angelo, Matt Waldman joining you guys as always. We're going to do a shorter show mainly because um, of a little bit of a, of a logistical error on my end here. Um, but I'll take the L on that one. But Brandon's kind enough to st- hang with me. We're going to talk a little bit about the New England Patriots, the New York Jets, and then Parker Washington. So, you know, Brandon, I hope, you know, you had an unbelievably good Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Considering considering your scenario right now, um, you know, I hope it was, um, you know, I hope it was really good to offset, you know, some of the things you dealt with. A hundred percent. You know, it's one of those things where you just kind of, you know, life has its bumps and bruises and, it's not. It, I'll be. I'll be honest. Like it's just great spending time with family and getting away from it all. So, you know, dealing with a flooding basement and all that stuff is definitely not wasn't in the cards. But hey, yeah. hey, we we just we just keep on rolling with the punches, man. That's right. Well, just so people know, the logistical error on my part wasn't me flooding his basement. Um, <laughs> that would be, <laughs> be something. Yeah, that would definitely be something. So, um, but no, but. Uh, but, you know, we wish the best and hopefully everything go, you know, works out okay there on that end. But, uh, but to begin with, you know, it feels like there's a lot more than a basement that's flooded with the new England Patriots. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. what do you, what's your thoughts on what's going on? I mean, like, is it a, is it the coaching? Is it the, is it the support staff in terms of personnel? Is it, is it that they really had one great player who tied everything together? I mean, what are your thoughts with this? Yeah, I think it's it's one of those really interesting items to talk about because the post Brady era was supposed to be Mac Jones, right? The Mac Jones show, but they really kind of fumbled that because you don't put the pieces around a quarterback that needs pieces, right? And that's a big thing is when you go from when he was out, he had two, three best pieces in the nation, right? Four if you count the running back pool. And you go from that to going to a New England Patriots roster where it's like none of the none of this none of their receivers, Parker, you know, you go Douglas, the best receivers now on IR, obviously. You know, so it's it's one of those things where it's you haven't put the weapons around a guy who needs weapons. This is not a it's not a playmaking off structure quarterback. This is someone who needs timing, needs structure, needs playmakers around him. You know, to help him look good. Like imagine Brock Purdy without weapons. How would Brock Purdy really look? Yeah, right. Probably a little better than Mac Jones right now, but still he wouldn't be in the MVP discussion. Right. No. So and that's kind of what we're getting with this iteration of the New England Patriots. And I think what's happening is the Belichickian ways are kind of past because it stopped working, right? It works until it doesn't. And when you have the captain of that ship being Tom Brady, you know, everybody's on board, right? You have the best quarterback in the world. You have a winning head coach. We're just going to buy into that because you want to win football games. But now it stopped working. So what you know? What do what do they do, right? They're kind of in this interesting rebuild mode where it's you know players are going to be very reluctant to go there, right? Like if you're if you're a prized free agent, 
why would you want to play for New England Patriots? Like, what makes you, besides money, want to go to New England? And that's going to be the interesting thing is they're going to have to build through the draft now um, and decide what their future is at quarterback. And I've said, we talked about this a lot before, is they should give Malik Cunningham a shot. Why not? Like, what do you have to lose? Bailey Zappi is proven he's, he's not it. Mac Jones certainly isn't it. You know, they they lost their best offensive playmaker to Rondre Stevenson. You know, they, they have a couple more guys on IR that they that would be helpful, helpful pieces of the offense. So it's one of those things where it's like, hey, you gotta find ways to move the ball. But it's just it's um it's a really, really big mess and um I don't know if one player like if they draft a you know, they they draft Drake May, let's say Bumpy Road. It's going to be just like it is in Carolina for Bryce Young. I think. So uh, that, it's going to be really tough, tough landing spot for rookie quarterback. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great assessment of the situation. And, and let's remember something that, you know, when you look at, you, you know, it does, there there is something to be said about the one player that left and what that's done, mm-hmm. you know, because... When we talk about quarterback being such an important position, while you know Brady wasn't a wasn't a playmaking off structure quarterback, but um, compared to say Jalen Hurts, he certainly could extend the structure sure. longer than most because sure. of his his probably I would say elite pocket management and and also elite skill at ferreting out defenses pre and early post snap. And on top of it, like Peyton Manning, he was the offensive coordinator of this team. And when people hear that, I think they, they hear that and they don't really understand what that actually means. But I think a good example of like what I heard about Peyton was that when Peyton was with the Colts, and I would imagine this was the same way with Tom Brady, is um, Chad Spann, the former NIU running back, um, who was who played, who was originally with the Colts when he first signed a UDFA contract, and Ch- you know he and I were conversating because I did some stuff for the New York Times back in the day where I I I wrote him up as a sleeper. And so we kind of stayed in touch over the years. And I and was asking him, you know, what's it like? What's it like being in, you know, with the Colts? What can you tell me? And he ended up with like, I think three teams that year because he went to sure. the Colts. Manning got hurt and was had that surgery. So he never played, but he was mm-hmm. in the camp. Then he ended up with Raheem Morris's Buccaneers when Morris was partying with the players after they beat the Saints. That's when Chad joined them. Um, and then he wound up with the Steelers. And of the three, he said the Steelers was like, it was like hev- football heaven to go there um, right. in terms of how the organization was structured. But it was interesting what he said about Peyton because he said, you know, when they reviewed film, they would sit at, you know, in a big classroom. They, they had their, they had the projector or TV up on the wall in the classroom. Everyone's gathered in their position groups. Um, and the coaches, the position coaches are there with them. And there was a play during the preseason where um, Span ran a route and the ball was 
thrown a little bit behind him, and it was kind of a tough thing to corral. And the running back coach told him that he needed to run the route differently. And um, and actually, first he asked Chad a question of why he chose to break the route off the way he did. Chad answered it, and then the, the coach said, well, this is how I'd like you to run it versus this type of coverage. And Peyton Manning was in front of him sitting with the quarterbacks, and he overheard that, and he turned around and he said, stop the tape. And everybody in the room got quiet. They rewinded it. They rewound it. They played it again. And he looked He looked at it, and he looked at Chad, and he goes, do what you did. And Chad immediately looks at his coach because he's like, what do I do? I mean, Peyton just told me to do this. And the coach said, Coach Lundy said, if Peyton tells you to do something, do it, you know? Yeah. And, and that was it. And and Peyton was also the guy that, you know, even while he had couldn't throw at that at that point, he was still like working with like the end of the bench with running backs on like exchanges during camp and showing them different things about exchanges and what he liked and what they should mm-hmm. be looking at and different things with play action. And he, he said he was literally the coach on the field, uh, you know, coach on yeah, the Yeah, no, 100% right. Yeah, so Brady had to be that too. You know, you look at that. Oh, for version. sure. Yeah, so there's so many, there's so much glue. He was the glue that held so much together. Because 100%. we look at Josh McDaniel and, you know, you might as well think he was like the wicked witch in terms of the way that he handled people. And Brady was the type of guy where you'd see him week, almost weekly yelling and screaming at McDaniels. Yeah. Who else was going to do that? You know, he made Daniels right. a punching bag for years. But it was mainly probably because Daniels probably said something stupid or said something in a in a, a poorly worded manner, most likely, based on what we've seen. And Brady probably said, you know, let him have it and just said, no, look, yeah. shut up. This is what we're going to do. You know, and we're going to do this. You want to, you want to take it to Bill. You want to go, you really want to have this conversation right now, whatever he's doing, that was probably happening. And I think that, you know, people wanted to play for Brady, like you said. So the the next thing is this, when you look at who they've scouted at wide receiver, as you've mentioned, other than slot receivers, who have they actually had? No, I had this conversation with somebody about two, three, four weeks ago. And it was like, who, who have the New England Patriots hit up like offensive skill positions? Who have they hit up? I ends can't name one. Of note, receivers, none of them have panned out as long, like long-term Pro Bowl-esque yeah. players or even guys who would consider this guy's a two on most teams in the NFL. None. Yeah. Not, no no outside bet. no outside the, receiver at all. The best, slot the yeah hundred percent slot yeah you could say Edelman obviously Edelman Emin Goal was good for a stretch of time, but that was really it and I, it just hasn't worked. The best offensive skill play yeah. that they had that they've drafted in the last decade beside Julian Edelman, Ramondre Stevens. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And that's it. The kill Harry, no. Yeah. And the Thornton, no. 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 So it's it's just like what like the 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 Belichick way isn't working very well right now. 
No. And it, it's it's not winning football, and it's you know it's I think it's tough for you know like Bill O'Brien who's calling the offense. Like, what do you do? Yeah. You you don't have any playmakers. Yeah. You can't cook wilted. You can't cook like rancid vegetables. You, yes. You know. Exactly. I mean, sure. Yeah. And, and and it is one of those things. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up with you know, and and Claire, you know, kind of went into detail with that because when I was listening to, um, I don't remember who the exact coach was, but it was um, one of the coaches who was semi-retired, who they bring in to like review offensive linemen, I think, before the draft, and they, and they were asked the athletic show. Kevin Mays basically asked them a couple years ago. What's your what's the process for like getting you know scouting players? Well, the scouts do their scouting and they have a specific way of how they go about doing that. But then Bill likes to have his coaches and longtime people right. watch that and then kind of tweak the board that way. But here because there's things we see that they might miss, and I'm sitting here thinking that's great, but why not actually find out what the coaches really want and have the scouts do that ahead of time so that you're right. not because generally the way that that process works is essentially really that's a nice way unintentionally of saying we don't trust our scouts we actually right. trust our coaches who yes. are only going to look at this in january or february yep. when it's all over and make these decisions late with limited looks and you know based on what we've seen they're they've been at their best when they're the discount merchandisers on free agency that's where they've actually shined yeah, you know 100%. so but when the draft they've been bad mo most of them no you know? like yeah. historically bad yeah yeah and that it's just really interesting and that kind of brings me to you know where we're gonna kind of go next to the new york jets yeah of it is becoming increasingly more important to take a potential backup quarterback in yes. the second, third, or fourth round of the NFL draft. Because we're seeing just what we're seeing it with Aaron Rodgers, right? We're seeing it with Deshaun Watson, right? We're seeing it with all like a lot of these quarterbacks who are going down throughout the NFL. If you don't have someone who can operate your system in a similar fashion to your starter, or at least keep the flow of the game in a similar light, you are going to get behind the eight ball really quick. And what happens with that is it's like the York Jets. The players are going to talk. They're going to get upset. And we all knew Zach Wilson wasn't right. And there's actually a really cool article of obviously no one playing for Aaron's injury, but the plan was for Zach to sit a whole year and just learn from it and never play. But he, you know, they looked at Aaron and said, uh, he's kind of on the option right now. We have to put him out there. Put him out there and it's a dumpster fire. And now Zach Wilson's confidence is real. He literally this week he's I don't even know if I want to go back in there. So it's it's become increasingly more important to take a backup quarterback 
in the second, third, or fourth round because of that simple reason is if your starter goes down, you need someone, um, you know, to black or at the very least just keep the offense operating. Um, and a lot of these backups can't do that. So, like, getting a guy like Gardner Minshew, for example, like, holy cow, he's doing a great job. We could have, we, you know, you could have seen that last year when Jalen Hurts was injured, right? Yes. And how he, how he played, especially in that Cowboys game. Um, that's a big deal. And even, like, Jalen Hurts, when he was, you know, his second rounder from Bama, you get a chance to see what the future of your team is going to look like. And Philadelphia's case, it was Carson Wentz, if you're going to keep going that route, or see what Jalen Hurts has. And obviously you see it in the practice all the time. You see it in the meeting rooms. You see the guys' preparation. And you're like, you know what? This is the way we're going to go. This is the direction we're going to go. So that's the big deal is taking guys, taking shots at those guys because you miss on so many day two picks anyways. You'd rather take a guy who's the fourth, fifth, option in the class of quarterback um, and go from there. Like, think of where the Niners would be right now if they didn't believe in Brock Purdy. Yeah. Right? And, you know, even though he was basically he was Mr. Element. Yeah. Um, taking guys where you think that, hey, these guys can be a backup, backup plus type guy in the NFL, becoming more and more important because we're seeing starters go down and offenses look completely inept. No, I, 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 it's, those are great points. And, you know, something that a former scout and consultant with a lot of teams told me once is that quarterback development in the NFL is like trying to flash fry something. You either get deliciously seared in flavor or a burnt piece of crap. Um, yeah. And it's really because they they make the decision to start these guys as the rule rather than the exception nowadays. And it started happening probably around Ben Roethlisberger. It was probably about the time where that owners just decided, look what happened here. We need to have that happen for us. We need to find that and make it make it work. But the problem is, is that when we look at quarterbacks who've either taken their teams to Super Bowls, won Super Bowls, or continued to you know perform you know perform at a high level and be MVPs, Steve McNair had intermediate playing time, intermittent playing time. Steve Young learned for years behind Joe Montana while looking like a chicken with his head cut off um, for early on in his career. Jordan Love sat, Aaron Rodgers sat, Brett Favre sat, um, Tom Brady sat. Um, you know, there are a lot of, you know, and and Drew Brees, he talked about it a lot. I've talked about yeah. a lot of that, that he said. Marty Schottenheimer, I gave credit for, for developing me because – he would bench me, but would come and tell me, "You're still my guy. You just got you. You're just not seeing the field well, and you need. We're gonna put Flutie in, or we're gonna put whoever they else they put in, and you're gonna watch. And if we get close, we're gonna give you a shot at it because you're the guy. We want you to be the guy, but you just you need to clear your head a little bit because you're seeing things. Meanwhile, the Jets' former quarterback behind Jet, Zach Wilson, who they also ruined, putting out there pretty early, started seeing ghosts. He literally on Monday Night Football was saying, "I'm seeing ghosts right now." That you ruined your quarterback when you start when they're getting to that point. No, yeah, it's it's a quarterback is such a it's it's one of the most mental positions. I'd say the most mental position in all sports yeah. in terms of being in tune, down to down. You can't miss a beat if you want to be an NFL quarterback. Yeah, and that's the that's the biggest thing is. If you're not 
mentally prepared and a hundred percent ready to go in and, and you know take all the flying bullets not gonna work out yeah i'm gonna end with this on this point because somebody wrote me yesterday actually about this point of developing sure. quarterbacks and he's a he's a um you know frequent listener because he was saying a quick note about Jordan Love, I found both irritating and amusing, and I thought you might as well. I was listening to a podcast with two analysts who are very accurate and insightful in most of their work and was struck by their reaction to seeing Jordan Love have a successful month. They are advocates of the idea that the best way to develop a young quarterback is starting right away with no benchings unless you want to ruin their confidence and that you don't really learn until you are in the game. Unlike most claims they make, they have not really given any evidence for this, but they have stated it. It's ridiculous to believe otherwise. And so this belief showed up in a way I found amusing when they were interpreting Jordan Love's development rather than seeing that Love likely benefited from sitting for several years, learning how to be a pro before he had to shoulder the pressure of being the starter. They took his situation as evidence that he should have been starting all along, starting not starting over Rodgers, but that he was ready to start in the abstract sense. Their logic was that they were seeing Love develop it from a mediocre player to a competent one over the course of the season, which showed that he didn't really need those bench years. You can see him developing before our eyes. You know, and he said, you know, I found this fascinating. I wonder how many people who hold this belief about development could ever find evidence to the contrary. Um, you know, because if a player starts right away and does well, that supports their view. If they start later and sit for a while, then it's successful and they should have been playing sooner you know, and that's, you know, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, that, no, that's really, that's a really, really interesting point. Um, I think it's interesting in, the, in Jordan Love's case because, uh, when you saw him in the Chiefs game when he had to come in for Rodgers, looks like a totally different player than he is now. Yes. In the sense of two things, timing and confidence. And that's the biggest part, right? That the arm talent of Jordan Love isn't going to get markedly better year to year right? right it is what it is at this point in, in his career and he's a talented football player but it's the timing the understanding and the ability to make off-structure decisions yes mature <laughs> off-structure yes and not just not just rational yeah. right and that the thing is you learn you learn a lot of what you're doing by who did it before you in this case aaron Rodgers. so you're watching aaron Rodgers. you're taking mental notes you're seeing what he did in different different situations and that's where i think it comes in comes to the play of hey it is do we start this guy and just throw him in the fire and just don't bench him or do we give him time to learn how to better like if you're the carolina panthers Bryce Young would have totally, totally benefited from being behind Amy Dahl for his whole, his whole rookie year. I mean, Patrick Mahomes did, and because he, he told did. Andy, we didn't. I didn't read progressions at Texas Tech. I didn't know how to do that. I, you know, he said so. Sitting behind, you know, Alex Smith allowed me to learn that. They gave me one game yeah, to play totally, after that. Totally, it's a totally different. Totally different dynamic playing in the NFL than playing in college, right? The verbiage is different. Your playmakers are different. 
the, the speed of the game is different. The coverages right. are disguised exactly. better. The playbook's yes. much thicker. It's you know, yeah. And then oh, on top of it, you're making a lot. You're making a lot of money, and suddenly people are wanting your time. And some oh, of them yes. have absolutely every right to demand that because they're trying to help you. And some people it's have just, no yeah. right of asking, but they feel like they have that. They have that equity from being because they're called your family, you know, yeah, or your friends. One hundred percent right. Yeah. There's so much. There's so much more yeah. than just the game. It's the game within the game, and you're not playing. You don't get an Appalachian State. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Don't, yeah. you don't get the gimme games to figure things out. Yeah. And the, right? the last note uh, I'll make about Love his improvement. Look, Jordan Love at Utah State. If you look at his feet. You look at his decision-making off structure, he looked impulsive compared to Zach Wilson, who was impulsive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you, I'm like, Zach Wilson, he he might as well have been an accountant, you know, compared to, to, Zach, to Jordan Love. And now you see Jordan Love, even this year, the things you saw with Jordan Love, occasionally he had some of those things that looked a little Utah State-ish, but he reined that back in very quickly. His feet were a much better and much more controlled. You see that right now. And his biggest issue was honestly early in the early in the year, man to man coverage with pressure. He he couldn't figure yeah. that out. And then he played the Lions again. And guess what? He looked pretty darn good. Well, that was one of those games where I don't know if you if you when you watch games, you go through some quarterbacks. And when I watch some quarterbacks play, it's like a, a good three point shooter who can't miss. Steph Curry gets hot, like you're like, yeah. that ball's going in. Yeah. That felt watching Jordan Love play against the Lions. Like that opening drive. Yeah. I'm after that, I'm like, oh man. Like he, the timing of everything, just, just the ability to create, you know, off structure. And one thing that really struck me was okay, this kid's developing was the calmness. Yes. Like and that—that's yes. a huge light bulb moment when everything is really calm, right? It's that calm in the chaos. That's a huge one. We're seeing a lot with C.J. Stroud and Houston. That's came really early to him, um, but that's a really big marker of of development of NFL quarterbacks is having that calm in the midst of all this chaotic stuff going on in your environment, being able to deliver, you know, deliver on time and on target. Huge. Yeah. Well, a guy who certainly helped out his quarterback on Monday night was Parker Washington with his debut. Had a yeah. beautiful catch that looked yeah. very Penn State-ish to me for him. Um, you know, catching a tip ball in uh, along the end line and keeping both feet in bounds. Great hand-eye coordination as he's always shown. Um, but, you know, Christian Kirk's banged up. You know, of course, Trevor Lawrence is too. Might miss a couple games with a high ankle sprain or have to gut through whatever he's going to do. But, you know, Parker Washington's a, a, you know, kind of a, I would say he's kind of a Heinz Ward-esque type of player in yeah. some respects, especially uh, how agree. he's used. So where, you know, why would you agree with that? And where do you think that goes for fantasy people either now or in the future? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting, you know, notion we talk about Heinz Ward too. Um, because of the toughness, right? It's just that kind of like that, like that grit, um, that gritty receiver. Um, but I think really for me, it's gosh, man, Calvin really might not be there next year. Yeah. Like, the, the Calvin really is going to be a free agent, from my understanding. And 
if Parker Washington shows that he could be, you know, a good number two, it, it, that's a good receiver room. Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Parker Washington. And he offers a different dimension than Calvin Ridley does, um, which is a good and bad thing. You know, when Calvin Ridley has bad games, they're bad games. Yeah. Like, they are your... He drops the ball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? And that's the thing is, like, he can cost you games. But he can also win you games. So you have to be kind of, you know, careful um, with, with a guy like that of, you know, is he going to give you six for 130 and two, or is he going to give you, you know... Zero for zero for zero for zero on six targets, yeah. right? And that's the thing is very well happen with Gallagher. But one thing I think that's going to help uh, Trevor Lawrence and CJ Beathard at this stage to step in is the after catch stuff that that's the stuff that Calvin Lee doesn't have his game that does is a lot of the a lot of the quick game stuff screens to design touches like jet motion. Like we've seen Ridley on a couple of those, but he's not he's not breaking tackles. He's he's not making guys miss as much in the open field. But Parker Washington showed that at, at, at Penn State. And I think too, that could be something next year if they do go away from Ridley, right? Moving Christian Kirk to Z and having Parker Washington operate majority of the time from the slot could be pretty valuable. Um but yeah, I think he's a good I think he's a good player and you know, with Christian Kirk missing probably the whole rest of the year. It'll be really interesting to see how he operates um, with Trevor Lawrence and, and see what he brings to the offense. No doubt. You know, and what was fun to see in the offense last week was, or this past Monday, was that, you know, I think he's pretty competent for fantasy right now as kind of a, uh, a role-player playoff savior. Like, if you need, like, one guy, because a lot of the routes are these, like, late leaks from the tight from the formation into wide open space or he's running he's running two route combinations with another man and he's behind the the guy who's running off the coverage um or he's the check down option on a shallow shallower route settling underneath the zone all these things that he's very good at that he brings the yak skills because he has more of a maybe more of a scat back mentality as a runner he can drop the pads and 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 power through and break a tackle as well as make someone miss as you mentioned and then with a and then with um lawrence as you mentioned where he's a little different than ward you know at least what we remember of ward over time sure you know for sure is that you know maybe young ward was this way but you know he washington is a more dynamic downfield threat at the catch point i would say He's sure. he's a trust throw player, and we know that Trevor Lawrence made a career out of trust throws at Clemson, and that he he he's shown the propensity to still do it here in Jacksonville. So Washington's that type of guy that I think could really develop a rapport with Lawrence with that trust. Um, so you know, right now, if they have Bethard and they're behind a lot because their defense is so bad. Um, and they're behind, well, the defense is going to give up a lot of targets to Parker Washington driving down the field. If Lawrence is back in and they're playing tight games and it's Christian Kirk who's gone for you know the year, well, still you're going to get those, you're still going to get those types of plays, but you're also going to get some of the downfield trust throws in yeah, the intermediate range. Balls. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, one thing's for sure is I know you folks trust 
Brandon Angelo with, you know, with your fantasy questions and your and advice and, you know, and info, especially, you know, with about players and the rookies. You got to check out his work at Angelo Fantasy, Angelo underscore fantasy on X, the on X, the app, you know. And then... yeah. <laughs> so weird. It's so, so weird to say, but yeah. I know. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, sure. of course, man, of course. And, you know, you can find me at Matt Waldman. The RSP is on pre-sale right now, um, available for 1995 through December 21st. You get the pre-draft and post-draft. It'll be available April 1st and a week after the draft. Um, you know, you can get it there. When With your product, with what you sell, tell folks more about that so that I don't pitch it wrong. Yeah, no, you know? for sure. Um, usually what I do is I, I try to, you know, take a different spin on the analysis of the player. Um, take the player on the mover, how the player moves, what that means for their projected role in the NFL, and longevity right? Guys are very different in how they move and different isn't good. Different's not bad. It's just different is different, but also that means different ceiling and floors, right? Guys like Quentin Johnson and Traylon Burks, when I talk about them, very high upside, but also very high risk for a couple of different reasons. Um, for a guy like Quentin Johnson, a lot of it was the freedom of movement was very good. The unpredictability was awesome with that size but there has to be a, a, a locus of control with what he does that we haven't seen yet in the nfl and if we don't see that soon it may never happen um but just talking to, to players like that and like like in this class like malik neighbors and marvin harrison jr some of those guys, like Roma Dunzi, like those players, what makes them unique and what makes them all first round talents? Um, and then just walking through different, you know, iterations of film and some screen grabs and just kind of walking through, hey, what are their what are their really good strengths? Like what are their really high caliber traits? What are also some of the things that we kind of see as kryptonite for those guys? Well, so just walking through that and then putting putting like a rookie guide on it too of where to take these guys in your draft. And um, like last year, for example, the big one was trying to find guys in the second, third round that could be really big contributors. And the two that I had circle on the draft guide and, and some of the other work I did and you know, the emails and all that, I think that it wasn't go. that I was 100% right on those guys yeah. from day one, but it was these guys have X traits that could translate into X production because they have traits that could translate to immediate production. Yeah. And that's really what we're trying to do, right, um, is find producers. Um, and then, yeah, that's really what it is. It's a lot of fun, and it's, it's getting close to time, man. It's December, so it's starting to ramp up. Well, give folks, give folks the site. Yep, Angelo, uh, angeloanalysis.com. So we'll start to put all that stuff up. I, I usually send emails when all, all of it's ready. Usually it's in early February, late February, um, around you know the NFL Combine. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's a lot of fun, but super excited to get back in it. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think in the next couple of weeks, I definitely think we should talk about Romo Dunze, Malik Neighbors, and Marvin Harrison. 100%. And trade some notes. Because I've already, I, I'll tell you right now, I'm a huge Malik Neighbors fan. 
So he he might be. I think right now he's my wide receiver one. In the he's I think he's. I don't I even think, think it's close. No, I don't either. I honestly think. <laughs> I honestly think for me, he is my number one offensive prospect. Yes, me too. I guess where I have him. Me, um, see, I think he's that good. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have fun with this because I've been kind of trolling the football guy staff to be honest on in our I joke that our roundtable every night, which is the reason why I was probably late that I was that I edit. I generally I generally troll the staff because I think they think that Malik that Marvin Harrison is like the I'm I'm probably over characterizing, but like a lot of the nation think he's the best wide receiver prospect that's ever graced the earth. And yeah, I've got no, some, that's not that's not wrong. Yeah, I mean, I like Marvin Harrison Jr. a lot, and I could see where I could love Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, but I love what I see from Malik Neighbors. Yeah, we can we can spend a lot. Yeah. We we'll are going to probably spend a lot of time on this, but yeah, I think you know, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. can be the best prospect in the class. Sure, but he is not right. I, I would absolutely yeah we're gonna this is the first time we talk about it, so i'm excited because you know when you when you're walking through the desert you know and you happen to and then you see someone else walking in the same direction with you and they go and you're like you know i could really use a compass right now and and you're holding the canteen and they're like I could really use a canteen right now, but I've got yeah. a compass. <laughs> there you go. Hey, so, we're walking in the, in the darkness together yeah. on, on this one. But yeah, I, mean, I, I, don't, I still love Marvin uh, Harrison Jr. Yeah, he's, me too. He's a freaking great prospect. Me too. But man, Malik Neighbors is one of those guys that's going to, he's going to step, he's going to walk in and he's going to light up. He's, he's going to join the pantheon of LSU players that are at the top of at the top of the list oh, play sure. wide receiver yep 100%. we're gonna end it here because we gotta go but thank you so much for listening you can see that we get excited about this stuff and of course it was at the end of the show that we're like now we're got the juices flowing with another subject for another time but uh you know tune in you know of course you can follow us at you know find us at all the podcast outlets that you normally get podcasts and uh thanks again <laughs>